0: 1 Peter chapter 5, let's go. If you're uh, joining us for the first time or maybe for the first time in a while, I just want to get you caught up here that throughout the fall we've been walking through, as a church, we've been walking through a sermon series over 1 Peter. And here is a quick summary of 1 Peter. That, that Peter emphasizes to believers that a part of your identity as a Christian A part of your identity as a Christian is being a spiritual exile. He doesn't even refer to his readers as Christians. He refers to them as exiles. Meaning that when Jesus comes into your life and he begins to transform you, you act and live different from the world around you. That's a part of the identity of a believer in Christ that and, and he even said in chapter 3 that, or chapter 4, he says, when the world looks at you and, and you don't act the same way that they do, they're surprised. So he has emphasized that throughout the entire letter that you're different. You're, your home is not this earth, believer. Your true citizenship is not this earth. But you have a citizenship and a true home that is in heaven. Therefore, we are spiritual exiles here in this world. But today, it's really interesting because it's his last chapter that he writes here. And now he talks about a form of leadership within the church that is very different from leadership in the world around us. See, Peter wrote wrote this in the mid-first century. And he wrote it in a culture that when it came to leadership, leaders were were prominently known to be domineering, oppressive or maybe leadership was set aside for the wealthy only. It, it was set aside for the, the beautiful and the pretty within society. They were the leaders. And now he talks about a form of leadership within the church that is completely countercultural to the world around us. And it still is today. So let's jump into this passage and let's look at it this morning. First Peter chapter 5, starting out in verse 1. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So the group of leaders within the church that Peter is addressing in this passage, he refers to them as elders elders. He said, the elders among you. Not those who are are like some Jedi council that nobody knows about, who makes decisions within the church. Did you notice where the elders are? They're among the people. In verse 2, he said about these elders, he exhorts them to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And did you notice also that Peter associates himself with being a fellow, fellow what? elder. He himself was an elder. So what are we talking about when we talk about elders? If if you've been around Grace Community Church for a while, you may know this, or you may not. If you're new to the church, you may know this, or you may not as well. But we actually have elders here within our church. We have a a group of faithful men that we're going to talk more about in this passage that fit the requirements of eldership. These are our church leaders here at our campus, at our four campuses as well. And so I I just want to put up here for you just the the names of these elders that let you know they also are not a Jedi Council that nobody knows about, okay? Kirk Hudson, Jake Kirby, the best looking is third there. Um, Apparently I'm in third place, but no, it's in alphabetical order. Fred Pate, Danny Price, Jeff Schapansky, Kelly Starr, and Brent Waddle. I, I just want you to know those names there. These are not perfect men, but they are redeemed men. They are faithful men. And they are certainly men who fit what the scripture is going to teach us here this morning. So as we were, as I was prepping for this, pa- or this sermon, as I was working my way personally through this passage, I just want you to know quickly that a couple of groups of people that I had in mind that were near and dear to my heart... looking at this passage one group are those of you that maybe you grew up in a church context or maybe you've been a part of a church context to where you think of elder you think of church leader and you didn't have a good experience with them maybe your family was burnt by ungodly church leadership in the church that you grew up in I don't know maybe that was your experience maybe it was not that maybe sometime down the road, you were part of a church and, and you saw really corrupt, messed up, ungodly leadership within the body that you're a part of. You were on my, my mind and my heart in studying this passage. Another group was those that you hear this and you're like, elder? Like, what are we talking about? The old people of the church? Or what are we talking about? Like, what? Older folks, which, um, by the way, I'm 45. I would be considered really, really old at this campus. Um, and especially in this service. So talking about me. But you're like, what what are we talking about? Man, you were on my heart and my mind in in preparation for this as well because what I I deeply hope for us over the next few minutes is that we allow God's word to instruct us about church leadership. And I'm talking good, healthy, humble, Christ-centered church leadership. We allow God's word to instruct us, shape and form our understanding of what church leadership should look like. And not even just allow maybe a negative experience, a bad experience in the past to be the primary perception of what we view church leadership to be. Let's allow God's word to speak this morning. And I'll be really honest with you guys. Preaching this passage is incredibly intimidating personally. Personally. I'm part of this. I'm humbled to be a part of it. I'm also scared in some ways to be a part of it too. Because in a lot of ways, it's a really difficult high calling. Because last time I checked, there is no perfect church, right? And as the old saying goes, once you find a perfect church, get out of it because you're going to mess it up. Isn't that true? Church is messy, it's difficult, it's imperfect, yet. Christ has deemed it to say this is my bride and I love my bride even in its imperfection. So let's allow God's word to speak on its own this morning. Here's a question we want to ask the scriptures. What is an elder? What does the Bible mean when it says elder? Like what are we talking about? It's really interesting because in the in the New Testament it's one position yet it has three different titles. So it's a little bit confusing in the New Testament when you hear elder because it's one position with three different titles. The first title, obviously elder. The second title it's referred to throughout the New Testament is overseer. And then the third one, this may surprise you, it's pastor, elder, overseer, pastor, all refer to the same church leadership position. And then the scriptures start to break this down a little bit more for us because the Bible gives us qualifications of what an elder is to be, what type of believer this elder should be. And there are really three primary passages in the New Testament that help us understand this. Obviously, 1 Peter chapter 5, but also Titus chapter 1, and then probably the most exhaustive is 1st Timothy chapter 3 it explains for us and describes for us what an elder should be so let's look at 1st Timothy chapter 3 and help and let's let the scripture just help us better understand what is an elder what should an elder actually be 1st Timothy 3 starting out in verse 2 says therefore an overseer or an elder must be above reproach The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So the first qualification that we see for a biblically-based healthy church leader within one section of God's big C church. The first one is godly character. Do you notice here that, that what Paul gives us is a list of character qualities that we don't go out and manufacture on our own. We don't come up with these, but it's Christ's work within us, his sanctification of us, his spiritual growth within us, that begins to develop these qualities within somebody that would ultimately be an elder. But I think this is, these are qualities for all of us as believers. So we understand that an elder, the requirement here is that they would have godly character. And then secondly, in this passage, we saw that the, an elder, a church leader, should be able to teach. Like, teach what? Math? English? Like, what are we talking about? About teaching the Bible, teaching the Word of God. So, godly character, able to teach God's Word. Thirdly, in the next couple of verses, we see a, a third quality here. Look at verse four and five. He must manage his own household well, with dignity, keeping his children submissive. That's not, we hear that and we think, oh, that means oppressing his kids. No. His kids trust his leadership as he serves them, as a good dad, as a faithful husband. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Man, what a question. So godly character, able to teach God's word, but also thirdly, an elder is to lead their family well to lead their family well. And then you get the fourth one. Look at verse six. He says, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Godly character, able to teach the word of God, able to lead their family well, and fourthly, an elder should be an established believer. A believer who is, has been walking with Jesus for quite some time, maturing, growing, being transformed by Christ. That is an elder according to the scriptures. That is a church leader according to the scriptures. A Bible-based, godly, humble, healthy church leader. So an elder in summary is this. Elders teach, they pray, and they serve so that their brothers and sisters might know Jesus more intimately, obey him more faithfully, and reflect his character more clearly, both individually and as a church family. Jermaine Rhine said that in his book on eldership. That is a biblical summary of an elder, when The Bible talks about the another, that's what they're talking about. So the question now becomes, according to 1 Timothy first Peter chapter five, is, is simply, OK, how does an elder, how is an elder to be a leader within the church? How are they to shepherd the flock among them? How are they to do this in a biblical, God-honoring way? And, and Peter outlines it for us. So let's walk through this passage here. Again, we're just allowing God's word to shape and form the way that we understand good, healthy church leadership. Peter walks us through how an elder is to shepherd and to lead. Look back at verse 2 together. He says, El, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not, here's the first one, an elder. Is to lead in this way, not under, help me out, under what? Compulsion, but willingly. So number one, an elder is to not lead under compulsion. So what does it mean not to lead under compulsion within the church? How is this actually countercultural to the world around us? To not lead under compulsion, here it's up on the screen for you. It's simply the elders do not serve the church because they feel they must do so because of external or internal pressure. In other words, an elder within the church does not say, okay, we're going to play politics within the church. Or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to manipulate this. Or these people within the church are starting to pressure me to make this decision. So therefore, I'm going to do that. Or these people outside the church are trying to pressure me to make this decision. Therefore, I'm going to do it this way. Know that the the elders serve the church willingly, Peter says. What does that mean? It means they serve the church because they love Jesus and they love his church. And to love Jesus and love the church means you want what is best for the church. Even if it's making hard decisions... It's saying that ultimately we are underneath the authority of Christ. And we're not here to please man, but we want to serve the flock faithfully well. Not because we're pressured by influences, but because we want to honor Jesus and we want to love the church well. So he says so a, an elder shepherds a flock not under pressure. But because they love Jesus, they willingly love, they willingly, willingly want to serve. Secondly, look at the scriptures here. He says, An elder says, Lead this way, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The second one, not for shameful gain. So, what does he mean when he says, not for shameful gain? It means to lead without a what's in it for me mentality. A leader within the church must lead without a what's-in-it-for-me mentality. Meaning that church leadership in any church I'm talking about, not just this one, but any church, cannot operate in a way that says, okay, how do I benefit from this? What's in it for me? What kickback do I get from this? Like, How is this going to help me? Peter says, that's not how a good, healthy leader within the church leads. What's in it for me is not even on the table. But he says, lead eagerly. What does that mean? It means selflessly pouring out your life for the good of others. Peter is saying, we want leaders within a church that would be selfish or selfless. Excuse me, not selfish, right? Right. But selfless, like in a lot of ways, taking on the the Philippians 2 model when Paul talks about how Jesus came as the ultimate servant, and he says he literally on the cross emptied himself, emptied himself. Like that is the calling of Christ-centered leadership within the church to say, Man, I'm pouring my life out for the good of other people. We're not playing games here. We're not playing politics within the church. We're not having these little side secret meetings. All right, like no, we're pouring our lives out because we love the church. Thirdly, thirdly, he says a way that the elder should lead is. Not domineering, verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering, but being an example to the church. What does he mean when he says not domineering? He's saying that you're not driven by your pride. Church leadership should never be driven by their pride. And a part of that is never be driven by their ego. A a, a church leader in a Christ-centered way should say, no, my pride's not on the table. But instead, he says, be an example. What does that mean? It means the church leadership should be humble servant leadership that reflects Christ. Like that—that that is a healthy church when you have leaders that are humble and that they take on the Mark Ten Forty Five example of Jesus, who did not come to be served but to serve and give his life for a ransom for many. Or even remember what Peter—or excuse me—what Paul said in 1 Corinthians Eleven Verse One. He said, "Follow me." That's a bold statement for Peter—or excuse me, Paul—to say, "Follow me." Like, would you say that to other believers? He said that to the church of Corinth, follow me. By the way, they were a pretty messed up group of church people. Follow me. But he doesn't end it there. He says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. I would argue that should be the theme verse of every church leader. Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. I want to reflect Christ to those who I lead. That is the heartbeat that Peter is proclaiming here in this passage. So to this point, I'm sure there's a fair amount of us in this auditorium who have been like, sweet, this passage, I love it. I have a week off this week. It's not about me. This is all about those church leaders, right? Right? I so want to take a poll right now and have you guys raise your hand about who had that mentality at this point, all right? we got, No, we're not going to do that. I want to, end, I, I, I want to start to move us to the end here by simply stating, all of us, we are in this passage. You may think, well, how? I'm not an elder. All of us are in this passage as the church In what way? Let me ask you a question this morning to show you how we're in this passage. I think there's a vital question for us as believers this morning that we have to ask ourselves. In regards to church leadership and leadership here within the church, we'll put it up on the screen for you. In regards to leadership in the church, what values are you currently reinforcing? Biblical values? or the world's values. I believe you and I, we, all of us, are in this passage because look at this question. When we think about church leadership, what values are we currently reinforcing in the church in America today? Are we truly reinforcing what we just read? Do we value leadership that's not domineering but setting an example? Do we value leadership that is not leading under compulsion but willingly? Do we value leadership that is not seeking shameful gain but they are eager to serve others? Is that really the leadership that we value? Do we value leaders as, as Tim, or Paul said to Timothy in, again in chapter 3 that we just read? We value that because here is my concern for the church in America today that over the last several years we have seen church leader after church leader after church leader after church leader fall. Moral failures due to pride due to domineering leadership due to affairs, not being faithful to their wife, to falling into shameful gain financially. Like we have seen so many prominent leaders within the church of America today. And here's my heart. My heart is not to critique the church by any means, but I think it's a giant warning sign to us as believers in the church today that we are reinforcing the wrong things when it comes to church leadership. Here's what I mean. Do we love a a charismatic personality up on stage more than a faithful leader who is committed to teaching the scriptures? We are attracted to charismatic personalities. And God has gifted so many great preachers, no doubt about it, that are absolutely faithful. But I've also seen over the last several years that they are amazing charismatic, charismatic personalities that can articulate really well. We put them up on stage. We fall in love with them. And we give them a microphone and the power and their character has not elevated to the place of what has been given to them. They're charismatic up on stage and then they walk off stage and they're absolutely shady. Yet we look over that because they're really cool up on stage. What are we reinforcing, church? Are we like, man, I listen to his podcast. I listen to her podcast. That's amazing. That's great. But if we fall into a trap, we're like, man, I'm a Matt Chandler guy. I will, Matt Chandler is a phenomenal communicator and I believe he is a faithful brother. He is not a part of the group that I just mentioned, but if you're falling into the trap of, Hey, I'm a Matt Chandler guy, what are you reinforcing? I hope you're a Jesus guy over a Matt Chandler guy. And I'm sure Matt Chandler would say the same thing by the way. Do we reinforce strong personalities? We're like, oh, they're a great leader in the church, man. They are strong, strong personalities. Or do we reinforce what we just read in the scriptures, a faithful brother in Christ who fits the biblical qualifications of eldership? Or do we, what about this one? Are we so enamored by the size of somebody's church and we think they're awesome. Yet the faithful pastor who is pastoring out in the country of East Texas right now, we think he's not that much. Because his church is about 50 people. Like, what are we reinforcing? Are we just amazed with charisma, strong personalities, and church attendance and big buildings? Like, if we are, what are we doing? Or do we fall back to this and we say, this According to God, is what good, healthy church leadership is. And we give our affections and our reinforcement and our prayers to good, healthy, biblically based church leadership. I'm not just talking about Grace Community Church, by the way, I'm I'm talking about churches in our town across our country and across the world. So over the last several months, I've been listening to a documentary podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Some of you are familiar with it, some of you may not be familiar with it. To this point, it's an 11 episode documentary about the growing of a church in Seattle, Washington and then the destruction Of this church. So if you know nothing about Mars Hill, let me give you a quick overview. In the mid-90s, there was a church plant with three different families in a very, very spiritually dark part of our country in Seattle. Not a lot of churches in Seattle, a lot of church plants in Seattle that ultimately don't make it, but this one did. In the early 2000s, it really began to grow in attendance, and then by the mid 2000s, if you will. Uh, Mark Driscoll, who was the pastor and the original founder of the church, his podcast was the most listened to podcast in within Christianity. Great communicator, given a large platform, writing a lot of books at the time. Church was exploding. They grew to where they had five different campuses. They were averaging nearly 14,000 attendees on a weekend. They had a, a an audacious goal of being a church of fifty thousand people. They were baptizing a lot of people, seeing a lot of people come to know Christ. A lot of people were, were turning from addiction and being rescued from that. Marriages were being restored. A lot of amazing things were taking place within this church. But in the latter part of 2014, Mars Hill closed its doors completely destructed and imploded at what seemed like it was overnight. Their highest attendance was in 2013. A year later, they closed their doors. So the question from Mike Cosper, who is the director of the documentary, which by the way, I wouldn't agree with everything I've heard in the documentary. There's some theological things I go, I don't know if I'm quite on board with that. But I think overall, Cosper and his team have done a phenomenal job with the documentary. But here's their thesis question, and this is my point. They asked the question, who killed Mars Hill? Who killed Mars Hill? Like this church that was rocking. And so many good things were coming out of it. Who killed this church? Part of his conclusion is, is that a prideful, arrogant, unrepentant leader and their pastor was a big reason why the church destructed. And if you're like, ah, that's pretty unfair to say that about a guy, go back and you can listen to the documentary. Another part of the answer to that question is, what about the people who reinforced this charismatic personality and overlooked the sin of this leader? Did they help kill Mars Hill? Possibly. But then he gets to a third group of people that played a role in it. Mike Cosper concludes that we, Christians in America today, we helped kill Mars Hill. <laughs> Some much like, I've never even heard of this church, man. How am I responsible for this? Just listen to his conclusion. Cosper says this. Why do we platform people whose charisma outpaces their character? Why do we platform leaders within the church today whose charisma outpaces their character? Something attracts us. We buy in. And then we watch the collapse like spectators at a demolition derby. Who killed Mars Hill? Part of that answer is we as believers in America today because for some reason we have decided that we want to reinforce for the world values, charisma, dominating personalities, big numbers. And we tend to overlook what do the scriptures say about good, healthy, biblically-based leadership within the church. Church, I plead with us. I plead with us. That what comes to mind when we think about church leadership more than a charismatic personality is 1 Peter chapter 5. What comes to mind more than a strong personality and that we're just attracted to, what comes to mind, Titus chapter 1. What comes to mind more than just a big auditorium full of people, what comes to mind when we think about church leadership and good, healthy, biblically-based church leadership, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We run to those things. Because here's the point. The last time I checked over the last 2,000 years, what God has deemed to be valuable, good, healthy church leadership hasn't changed. It applied in the mid-first century when this was written, and it still applies today. If we're reinforcing what the world values, may we repent of that. Maybe we turn to God's word and we say, we want God what you want more than what sparkles and attracts. We want what you want. Let's pray together. I'd love to give you just a moment here to pray. Maybe it's a time of just confession to the Lord. Lord, I, I I have reinforced the wrong things. Or maybe right now it's a time just to pray for leadership, not just at Grace Community Church, but good, healthy, biblically based leadership within the church across the world. Let's pray for that leadership. spend some time just praying, running to the Lord, crying out to him,